0: All right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you, and we talk about better pain management, we talk about rehab after surgery, we talk about improved mobility, And we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. Mackenzie, welcome to In Your Corner with Cora Physical Therapy. Thank you very much for finding time in your busy schedule to talk about May month. May. May speech. What is it? May, what what is that?
1: It is Better Hearing and Speech Month.
0: I like that. Of course, I struggle with hearing and speech a lot of times, so this is going to be a great conversation. But before we get into that conversation, I want you to go out to CoraPhysicalTherapy.com. That's CoraPhysicalTherapy.com. And right at the top of the fold on their website, great website, by, by the way, is Treating Everyone Right. At Cora, everyone is welcome, everyone is respected, and everyone is supported to achieve success. How can you argue with that? That's pretty doggone good, huh? Mm -hmm.
1: I I couldn't
0: agree more. Go out there, corephysicaltherapy.com. Find out more. You're going to find people like Mackenzie out there. All right, so we've got uh, Better Hearing and Speech Month. That is the month of May. Give us a little sort of background on you before we get into that topic, and uh, then we'll just sort of dive on in. So background there, Mackenzie, outside of the fact that I like your first name. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and just a, a quick little uh, update: you need to capitalize that K. And make it, don't make Ooh,
1: it. Ooh, I know. Very controversial there. I go to lowercase nice K. <laughs> it is.
0: It's right there, man. That's that's Mackenzie trash talking.
1: So, yes, so I am Mackenzie. I am a speech language pathologist in Blacksburg, Virginia, at our pediatric branch here. So, I have been a speech language pathologist for about three years now. I graduated from Radford University with my master's there, and we are, or I am originally from. Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh area, but have relocated down here to go to school and then just stayed because I love it so much. So love my job, love the area, Um, lots of good things going on.
0: All right. So that's great, by the way, FYI, I I didn't mean to just go, I I want to get into this topic because I think it's very important. I think people gloss over it. I don't think that people understand, which me being one, understands Mm -hmm. the importance of Hearing, communication, and speech and all of that, just in, in life in general. So why may what what do we try? What are the themes for um you know this particular month for a Quora?
1: Yes. So the purpose of just better hearing and speech month in general is just to kind of it's just a month dedicated to drawing attention and awareness to two things that really the average person does on a daily basis without even giving it a thought. um, but things that we do every second of every day hearing and speaking, um, again, they're usually things that come without giving it that conscious thought. But for those of us or those of the population who either have disorders within those areas or difficulties, um, and it's something that doesn't come easy, it's very important to look into, um, helps us hear better, what helps us speak better, communication as a whole, Um, so not only just establishing those skills in kids, but really the importance of maintaining them across the lifespan, so the importance of protecting our hearing, the importance of maintaining cognition and language even into adulthood, um, into those elderly years, again, it's just something that feels like it comes so naturally, but it's something that we have to protect even more carefully. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I'll probably end up growing older and older, which I am. Just uh, Apparently, that's life. So I'm growing older. And eventually, I'm just going to say, get off my lawn. I'll remember that. Just get off my lawn. I'll be all crotchety and craggy yeah. and all that stuff. So as long as I can remember that, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all fine. And dandy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so from a, from a child's perspective, from a parent's perspective, who have children, what are we looking at from just basic milestones, basic development stuff, sort of lay that out if you could.
1: Yeah. So sticking very basic. um, I like to look at three primary areas that parents can even just look for monitor without having to know specific milestones. So the first being expressive, Um, that's what they're actually saying, what you're hearing. Um, And that's things like the types of words they're saying, how many words they have, um, if they're combining words. Again, I wouldn't get caught up on numbers, things like that. There are great resources out there if you want to look into very specific milestones but ultimately, we want to be paying attention to what they are saying. Are they able to use language in a functional way to have their needs met? If the answer is no, then there's probably a problem there. The second area, would be, be let, see-
0: let me just jump in. Uh, yeah. What age are we looking at from an expressive perspective? point of view what what, i mean they're you know
1: so starting honestly it starts even before their first birthday so we want them to be babbling vocalizing just making sounds they're not saying words but even that babbling is such an essential part of communication developing that if we're not hearing babbling by the time they're one we know that's a problem um By one, then that's right around where we want them to have at least their first word. Um, So typically, it's something like mama, dada, their dog's name. No, anything like that is what we really want that first word to be. And from there, between age one and age two, we want to see more and more single words come. um, And then even start to piece those words together into those two word phrases. So things like, no, mine, mama, go. fall down put those together that's very important just to see them being able to take single words that they already know put them together um so it starts again as early as that making sounds into building that into bigger and bigger pieces of language
0: okay very good number two
1: so then number two would be the expressive piece that i would pay attention or i'm sorry the receptive piece receptive Yeah, receptive. So what they are hearing, understanding, comprehending. Um, So that is different from expressive just because it's a little bit harder to measure. But things like, are they able to follow directions? If you tell them, go get your shoes, can they go get their shoes? Oh, show me your nose. That just shows what they are understanding without necessarily producing anything. Can they follow directions, answer questions, um, identify things you are talking about?
0: And, and, and give me some age parameters.
1: On yeah. That. So things like even following, um, or we'll start with just identifying common objects would be one of the first I ask my parents about when they come in, if they're over or kind of getting close to that between one and two years old. If I say, um, Oh, where are the shoes? Can they turn and find shoes? A common object, food, cup, dog those words that they're starting to produce between one and two if you say those words do they look for it to identify it Um, then close to that two-year-old mark is where we also want them to be able to follow directions Um, so if we tell them those simple commands especially things within play will be the easiest ones clean up time to go can they follow those by age two would be great and then eventually adding on two-step commands, uh, get your shoes and bring them to me, things like that still around hmm. that two-year mark.
0: So we have expressive and a receptive. What's the third one?
1: The third I always like to look for is just their social language. So how they interact with everyone around them is a really big piece. So hmm starts out even just in play, um, how they play with you, if they are willing to um, bring you a toy to go back and forth, take turns. Um, But then it turns into not just play, but also language. If when you say something, they say something back, are they able to interact with all the people in their environment? So their peers, their siblings, their parents, strangers, if that social piece is there.
0: Again, uh, give us some sort of age parameters for something that is developing
1: properly on that one. Yeah, so even within play, those turn-taking skills, again, is something that I would like to see very early, something as early as one year to two years, can they take turns taking a ball, putting it down the slide? Okay, I put one down. Now they pick it up. They put it down. That's copying something that I'm doing, which shows that they are paying attention to me, which shows that social interaction. So something like that. Now the language would be a little bit longer or a little bit um, further down the road, but between two, three, are they able to answer my questions, start to have that interaction, even hi, bye, waving showing interest in people still happens much, much earlier even than the average person would anticipate.
0: See, that's interesting. So you go down the road, you you you're, you're, do parents, do parents come to you just saying, Hey, we just want to make sure that our child is developing properly and just give us a sort of a baseline. And then through that interaction, come up maybe with some strategies. What, what, do they do that or how do, how do you encourage parents to say, okay, whatever?
1: Yeah. So it honestly, a lot of the time it'll start with for parents to even know there's something wrong. Again, they have to be at least a little bit familiar with these milestones or what happens for a lot of our parents is they will be at the doctor at their pediatrician and the pediatrician has just a quick screener about, oh, are they doing this, this, this kind of some of the things I named. And if it's a no, then they'll say, Oh, those are some red flags, we're going to send you to the speech therapist, Um, to which they'll come to see us, we'll do that initial evaluation. And at that point, determine whether therapy is necessary, or it's not. Um, Typically, if we're already noticing those deficits, we'll bring them on. And especially for those little ones, then that opens the door for a lot of therapy with our young ones is a lot of that parent coaching. So we do a ton of helping parents implement things at home. We'll give them specific strategies to help all of those language skills develop, just because if we're only seeing each kid one to two times a week for 30 minutes, that's not enough time for us to really model those language skills. So, so much of it is just parent education, honestly.
0: If if you identify that there might be a challenge, I, I would imagine there's there's a severity, uh, rating of, yep. Uh, you're down here, over here, whatever, whatever that rating is, mm-hmm. how do you, can you, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going off script because this is just an interesting topic. I, I have a script everyone, but I'm not going on that script right now. I will go back to the script, but I want to have this conversation. Um, do you find when uh, they're saying, Hey, the child is having some challenges with expressive and, and uh, receptive and maybe some social, do you sort of categorize those and and focus in on how to improve those particular categories? And then what, what does that look like from, from uh, expressive?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: How do you, how do you do that?
1: Yeah. So a lot of it is actually, it's very intertwined. So, Odds are good when their receptive language is low. Their expressive language, just as a consequence, will also be low. If they're not Mm. hearing, comprehending, understanding all of it, odds are good that those pieces will both be low. Again, there sometimes can be discrepancies. um, But when they do come in, we look at all those and we use different assessments tests to kind of get an age range or severity level, like you said, for each area specifically. But then when we target them in therapy, we kind of like to build on all of it. So we'll target all of these skills In play-based, where we're not only teaching them that social interaction back and forth, but we are modeling those expressive skills. We're modeling single words and phrases, while also then, as we're modeling that, that's helping their receptive skills. So really, it's hard to even separate them in therapy, but it's helpful to know what each of those levels is.
0: Is it safe to say sooner identification is better than later identification for primarily youth?
1: Yes. Unfortunately, we see so many parents will say, Oh, okay, I'll wait until they're three years old because let's just give it some time to develop. But if we're already seeing those red flags at one year old, they're just going to fall farther and farther behind if we don't get them in. So absolutely.
0: Is there a, a, a hearing component to that? Let's say, um, I can't hear the words, you know, accurately, whatever it might be. Is there also that component there?
1: Yes, completely. So often, even within the last two weeks, I've had a few evaluations where a little one, two, three comes in and they've had a history of ear infections to the point of getting ear tubes placed. um, And what we see so often is that that sets them back both in their language skills, their articulation skills, everything across the board, but it just makes sense. They're not hearing things correctly. And so they're not going to be able to produce um, that expressive language in the way they need to. Typically, again, if we can get them in early, if they have um, treatment for their ears, we'll be able to get them back up. But there's such a link between those two.
0: Do you find that parents, like you said, they're sort of, they're just slow a little bit here and there. They just sort of got that, that uh, casual sort of approach to it and eh, it's just just a boy whatever whatever it is it, yeah. it, you know do you find that there's needs to be sort of some encouragement to say hey just come on in just come on in just check it out what theck the you know what, yes. what are to lose
1: so much so because I think parents just and not even out of oh I don't want to go to therapy just a lack of oh, I didn't know that was a problem. So many parents will come in and say, oh, I didn't know that was a problem. I didn't know he should have been doing this. Um, So that's one side of it. So giving those parents the milestones, educating them is the first step. But then we also do have the other side where you're right, where it's just like, oh, I don't know. He might not need it. I don't want to commit to going to therapy when really we can bring him in it does no harm even just to do that initial evaluation. Make sure completely roll out that there's nothing underlying or going on.
0: See, I like that a lot. Now, we've, we've been in sort of this unfortunate two years of the pandemic. What have you seen? What kind of challenges have you witnessed?
1: Yeah, it's been across the board. Obviously, there have been so many challenges, but specifically within my field, I feel like I'm getting a firsthand view of how this is all affecting kids Um, by nature. It's affected even just the provision of services. So we've had to get very creative, even in the way we are doing speech therapy, things like that. Um, From the very beginning of COVID, a lot of our therapy went to telehealth. So we were doing therapy over Zoom sessions, which was a unique component, even in itself. um, Having to teach kids through a computer screen have their attention stay on our faces um, i will say i met more pets than i have ever ever yeah. thought of what during covid i got to know all of my patients pets um, yeah. but we just had to get really creative with providing those services um, so that in itself was a hurdle but the impact of even just being out of school um being at home all of the time um, Being away from those academic activities, enrichment things, I think we're going to see a huge impact on kids learning and development just from the way that this has impacted um, all of our society over the last two years. And again, I don't know if there's a solution to fix that, but there are going to be so many implications for kids just in that language development. Well,
0: smart people like you will figure it out and and, (laughs) and pretty thankful for uh, what you do from a telehealth perspective. That it would seem to me that if if I'm if I'm lacking expressive whatever the the, uh, receptive and social that would be more like face to face. It would be hard to translate that into a telehealth type of thing. It just you miss you miss that you miss miss it.
1: Right, completely. There's just no replacement for in-person therapy, and telehealth has been a great substitute or a great second option when there was no other option, but even the quality of service, again, it's just hard. And it's hard for kids when our society is so, um, focused on, um, technology, things like that all the time. We already spend enough time watching TV, um, playing on the computer, watching videos that so much of the time I tell my parents, let's get away from the screens, let's get away from the screens. So then to have to do therapy over the screen is a little bit of a problem.
0: Yeah. See, that's really interesting, but we had no other way of uh, being able to do it given, given the pandemic, but you, you you know, you soldier on and you uh, do what is necessary to provide that care for uh, that family, that child, whatever it might be. Yes. Give us sort of a sense, nothing fancy, nothing too extensive on how you would approach sort of like that. uh, What's a a general structure of how you sort of approach? Hi, I'm a parent. Here's my child. Fill in the blanks. What do we do?
1: Yeah. So after that initial evaluation, um, again, we would get right where they are, where all of those language skills are, what the deficits are come up with some treatment goals. Um, again, it we're been t- or we've been talking primarily about our little ones. So a lot of the time, those are strictly language things. As they get a little bit older, it opens the door to articulation, which is just strictly pronunciation of sounds, things like that. We would also maybe have some goals about social things. Um, every once in a while, I have kiddos with some swallowing deficits. So we actually work on swallowing too. Again, just a wide variety of things, but we'll make treatment goals that fit their diagnoses and their disorder um, and then bring them in. And a general session, honestly, just because there's such a range, every session could look a little bit different. But what I do is usually pretty play based. Um, So we do a ton of language stimulation. So we're playing, we're building things, we're doing pretend play, we're drawing and painting. Um, it's very hands-on just because children learn by watching and hearing, they're not going to learn by sitting and working on a worksheet or saying the same thing over and over again. So we really just provide that enrichment and make it as realistic to their daily life as possible. So I also have an older patient who's, um, in his teens, but he has pretty significant developmental delay. So at a much lower level right now, but right now he is learning how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So we go to the kitchen and we sequence the steps to put some peanut butter on, put some jelly on, put it together, eat our sandwich. So just these daily activity tasks that um, because they have deficits there, that's what we want to treat and ultimately make it as enjoyable and fun for the kids as possible. So they're loving what they're doing as we're learning.
0: Yeah, that's, that's so important. Now, with that said, give us some sort of victories that you've uh, experienced as a result of this this incredible journey, this profession that you can share with listeners.
1: Yeah, so I, a few examples come to mind. Um, One of them, I have a or I had a little one with an autism diagnosis. And so with autism comes a lot of those social difficulties. That's one of the hardest things is interacting. And so we work on as much as we can in a session. But again, it's me and him. So there's just not as much of that social peer to peer interaction, which is really what he struggles with. But one day I went out into the lobby and I saw him sitting on the floor playing with a sibling of another child who comes to therapy. So it was a typically developing child, um, but they were sitting there playing together using great language back and forth and moments like that. I just love to see that what we're doing in therapy is allowing him to be successful out in the real world with peers, um, with someone who doesn't even know necessarily that he has that diagnosis. So that was a definite win. Um, I have another little one who came in without any words. Um, He was little when I evaluated him, but no words, had a diagnosis of Down syndrome Um, and mom just worked relentlessly at home all of these things working 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 and he actually just started to use his first few words within the last few months um Mm -hmm. and is so proud he will say his word you look around for an audience to see who's happy about what he just said and he gets it He's starting to realize that communication matters which is huge
0: so those are wonderful stories absolutely wonderful where how long if 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 some of these cases, is it a lifelong journey into, you know, the therapy? Is it a lifelong or is there a point of like, okay, we're just, just sort of maintain it. What, what What's the sort of general thinking there?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for some of ours, we, what we hope is that it won't be okay. lifelong. So for some of our kiddos who come in just with speech sound errors, we'll see them for few months to a year to however long until those sounds are cleared up, um, get them in, get them out and back into um, their daily life. Um, there are some who will come in and will more than likely have some communication deficits for life. Um, and those are the type of patients who we really just wanting want to be focusing on what is functional for them and what will make their everyday lives better. Um, so Yes, maybe therapy will last a very long time for them, but what can we do that will, again, continue to make this enjoyable, but also just serve them really well. We don't want to do therapy for 20 years if it's not having an impact on their lives. But some of these diagnoses um, just require a lot more work, um, continued effort, which is part of the nature of the disorder, I guess.
0: And I would imagine that there is uh, some benefit uh, for organizations to have on staff individuals that could work with them, as well as um, there is an organization here called Stark, and it provides the ability for uh, learning disabled individuals, adults, to do something productive. But I would imagine it would be great to be a part of that. All of the, the 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 linkage here is pretty impressive.
1: Oh, that would be, yeah, that would be amazing. Even just being able to partner with organizations that do things like that. Yeah. Um, so important because I think a lot of the times those either teenagers or adults with disabilities kind of eventually get swept under the rug, you yeah. know, like, Oh, you've made it this far in therapy. You've made it to what you can do. Now we're just going to be right. done, but that's not the approach we should take obviously mm,
0: agreed. No, yeah. I agree with you hundred percent. Now let's uh, broach the subject of, of, uh a bilingual household right I, I don't know how kids do it I don't I'm I struggle with English right <laughs> let alone uh, a bilingual home and and switching back and forth do you find any challenges associated with that how do, how do we how do we deal with that
1: yeah language disorders within bilingual children is a, another another beast of an animal but what I will say is that i never dissuade parents from Teaching their children both languages. I have a lot of parents who will come and say, Is this going to hurt them if I have them raise them in a bilingual home? Should we just stick to one language? Um, and I'm always so quick to say no, just because obviously, in the long run, uh, developing two languages is so good for our brain um, and it's just going to serve them really, really well. So, Initially, we might see some, um, a little bit of a lag in languages um, or if there are disorders in one language. So in their primary language, if they're having some difficulty Odds are good in that second language, they will also have a little bit of difficulty developing it, um, and we take that into account in therapy and try to treat in their primary language, um, which brings some again some challenges having to use an interpreter, things like that right. in Um, But the way brains or children's brains are work is incredible. So it's exactly what you said; they can learn language in such amazing ways without even thinking about how they're learning, which is baffling to me. As I said, it really
0: a- is. It. Yes. It's incredible. Right? I,
1: it's you know,
0: incredible. Look at these kids just switch back and forth.
1: Right. So I, <laughs> if I could go back, I would 100% tell yes. to yes. me bilingually. But we didn't do and, it. So. Uh,
0: <laughs> I tried to take Spanish in uh, um, college and it I struggled.
1: <laughs> yes. And that's the thing. When we try to learn it as adults, it's so much more difficult. So learning it as a child is the way to do it, which is why I always so heavily enforce. Yeah. Do it, do it, do it. Keep keep teaching them both languages.
0: Amazing. Uh, so you've touched somebody's heart. I don't know who it might be out there. How do they get a hold of you? Mackenzie, mm-hmm. let's say I, we've already established sooner than later. Do uh, you deal with adults too? I mean, let's say over a period of time you know, uh, we start losing our ability to communicate, whatever it might be. Do you, do you work with adults too, as well?
1: Yes, we do. And so I specifically work in a pediatric population, right. but there are a few adults actually come into our clinic. Um, but there are plenty of speech therapists and plenty of settings who work with adults, whether that be for, um, stroke patients or voice disorders, swallowing, all kinds of things. And so there are plenty of ways to reach us in all different settings. What well, I would say specifically, if you are a parent of a child, again, reach out to your pediatrician. They will have contacts for you to be able to yeah, find a therapist within the area. Um, you can also always go on to that um, website that we named, right? At the what was that?
0: Uh, is that Core Physical Therapy because they treat yeah. everyone right?
1: That's the one, exactly. So go on to there and hopefully there will be a Cora location within distance to your location that you're listening. But look on the internet, look anywhere, ask around, ask um, parents of your children's friends, hey, where do you take your child to speech therapy? Um, Word of mouth is a great way to find speech therapists too, but absolutely don't wait um, if you have any sort of concern Get in there, get in there as soon as
0: possible. I love it, and if you and I like the the approach of your pediatrician, go to a pediatrician. A pediatrician should have sort of that ability to say, "Hey, let's uh, consider this, do this, wherever, go over here, whatever, and make those recommendations, make those uh, um, connections." So that, that's really important, Mackenzie. Yeah. You were wonderful again, well, delivering value. You. You're <laughs> just value rich.
1: Like thank it. you for having me and asking great questions. It's an important
0: things. It was a part of the script, but I was off script a couple of times. I just, FYI, listeners, off script, uh, because this <laughs> is really an interesting uh, topic. All right. Remember to go out to corephysicaltherapy.com At Cora, everyone is welcome. Everyone is respected. And everyone is supported to achieve su- success. Sure, like Mackenzie, you embody that. Oh,
1: well, thank you. Thank you very much.
0: That's right. All right, listeners, we're going to have another great. Uh, conversation shortly. So stay tuned.